Hey guys, my name's Liv, and welcome to my podcast, Flourished with Liv, where we talk about anything from fitness to nutrition to mental health, and honestly, just anything remotely real life. I hope you guys enjoy, and let's get into the episode. From this computer. Perfect. Okay, hey guys, and welcome back to another podcast. Um, today I have um, Lillian with me. She is a registered uh, psychotherapist in the qualifying status. Um, I'm super excited to get into today's podcast. Um, I've got a lot of good questions for her that I want to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about her background, a little bit about my background. If she has any type of questions for me too, that would be kind of fun as well or not. It doesn't matter. And then we've got a big list of questions here from, um, that I put up on my Instagram for you as well, uh, Lillian. Um, so I'm excited to tackle those with you as well. And, um, yeah. Um, I'll say right off the uh, uh right off the bat how how me and uh, Lillian met. We met actually at a party through mutual friends. Um, mm. and at the time we were talking, and I was telling her at the time I was still doing my undergrad. Um, and I was talking to her about possible courses I wanted to take, and I was telling her about how I wanted to take my master's in uh, psychotherapy through the University of uh, Yorkville. And she's like, no way, I'm finishing mine up right now. And I was like, oh my God. So um, she's uh, she's all done school now. I'm still right in the middle of it, but I've always, I've always looked up to her and um, she's helped me a lot actually with the beginning of the process and everything and um, some APA formatting as well there in the beginning <laughs> while I was getting the hang of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm super excited to... Uh, to dive into this podcast. So do you want to introduce yourself a little bit here, uh, uh, Lillian? Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's so exciting to be on here with you and chat more about therapy and about um, just kind of both of our processes to get here. Um, so a bit of more about me. So I am a registered psychotherapist qualifying. Um, so basically in the first year after you're done, um, you are in the qualifying status before you can be fully registered. Um, so basically just means you're under supervision. Um, and a little bit more about me and my schooling. So I have a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology um, with a concentration in health and well-being. And I got that from Carleton University. And then I went on to do my master's at Yorkville University, uh, Master's of Arts in Counseling Psychology. And I just finished up this past December, which was awesome. Um, just a bit of a disclaimer before I guess we get into anything more is that um, anything that I share today should not be taken as professional advice. Um, it's more educational and fun and stuff like that. Um, you should always seek professional help for your individual needs. Um, I just want to put that out there because it's really important um, to know that I can't really give any assessment on anything um, with the questions just based on a, a single question um, because I don't know anything about the people that are asking it. Yeah, absolutely. I was, yeah, no, no, that's great. And I was going to say, hopefully we can convince everyone to, to, uh, to go to therapy as well. So they can, yeah. come they can help it. <laughs> For sure. Perfect. Okay. Well, um, I will say, you know, um, I'm pretty open. Um, I'm pretty open about uh, my own uh, background with uh, therapy, but just kind of to give like a brief overview too, just because, you know, the whole point of this podcast is I can, I can hopefully get you know, 
uh, more people to be open to therapy. I think that there's, you know, such a stigma around, around therapy. Um, and you know, this idea that you only need it when you need it and things like that. But my own background, um, is I actually did uh, therapy when I was in probably grade, I think I started in grade three. I actually, um, I struggled with uh, separation anxiety at a really, really young age. And I started uh, therapy at around three, four years old. And I went for a few years when things, um, when things started to get better, I, I moved on and such. Um, but I always look back and I find it really interesting um, to, um, I don't know if, um, if you've had the chance to work with any children yet, but I look back and chill, like, like going to therapy as a child was so, so different. Like it must be like, that's, that's something I'm like, I'm both like excited and kind of nervous about as I get into the field is it's, it must be such a different playing field. Like I remember, you know, mm -hmm. the first half hour of my session with my therapist in grade, when I was in grade three was, uh, like a board game to get comfortable with each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is, it is super different. I work with mostly like 13 and up in couples. So I don't really get those little, little ones, mm -hmm. um, but it is, it is so different, right? You're not talking about the brain. You're not talking about, um, you know, insight and, and drawing on different things that adults can comprehend. It is a lot of play and exploring emotions and stuff through that. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting how the um you know how the psychology of that would work as well. But uh but yeah, so I did that and then um when um like as you know, I'm very open with my background in 20 in 2016 I was hospitalized um at Chio uh, for my eating disorder. Um and at that time I saw a um a therapist in there as well. Um, and that was actually, you know, I've had a lot of really great experiences uh, uh, with therapy, but that was actually one of my worst actually experiences with uh, therapy. I, I didn't necessarily agree with a lot of the, the methods that were used at that time. Um, and I remember being really discouraged when I was finally discharged. Um, and I, I, I really didn't, I didn't want to go back to see her. And for the first time, I was actually very pulled back from therapy. I was nervous about it. I just didn't have a good experience with that uh, therapist and we didn't have a good connection. Um, but I remember, you know, really wanting to stick to it, um, even though I, um, I was discharged from the hospital because I knew I needed it. Um, and it was it was a really cool uh, loop, actually, because we me and my family were looking and we actually ended up finding the same therapist I saw when I was um, in grade three. And uh, long and behold, her specializations were in, you know, anxiety in children and children and separation anxiety, but she also specialized in eating disorders. So I oh. actually, yeah, I actually ended up going back to her. So I had not seen her since I was in grade three. And here I was in 11th grade and it was like a full feedback loop. It was actually really funny. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I loved her and I continued working with her, um, from 2016 to 2020, I would say. And then when COVID hit, that was tricky. I wasn't a big fan of the telehealth. So doing, you know, sessions online and things like that. Um, but I remember I had a really great relationship with her. She was really, really, really amazing. Um, and uh, then I took a break and I actually went through a breakup in, uh, well, it would have been 2021, sorry. So last year. 
Um, and I developed a lot of anxiety after that breakup, actually. And that's why I'm really excited to to, to really dive into the the listener questions, because there's a few questions about about breakups and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was the reason why I went I went back to therapy um, pretty much a year ago. So it was uh, I went back to therapy probably uh, February of 2021 um, after the breakup. And I went because. I was super anxious. I re like I was I was I was having these same anxious feelings that I had when I was like in grade three, like that same like separation, like anxiousness coming on. And I went back to see her. And here we are a year and a half later. I'm still working with her. I still go to see her pretty much um, every second week, I'd say. And me and her have been through a lot this last year and a half. And uh, I've never I've never been more in tune with myself. I've never you know, been more aware of my emotions, of my body, like my whole, the whole physical and the mental aspect, I I really do owe to her and the way that she's tackled things. She's really, really lovely. Um, So that's kind of a background of my own uh, therapy world. I wanted to give that just because I feel like a lot of people will have, you know, potentially a bad experience, like with a therapist, and they kind of assume that, oh my God, going forward, like all therapists are like this. And it's like, no, like, and I'm sure you've uh, seen this too, uh, Lillian, but like, it's just like being in a friendship, you know, some people just don't get along, right? Like some people's personalities just don't mix. Yeah, yeah. A good therapist client fit is really important. Um, And it's okay if there are, you know, therapists that you don't get along with, you don't like their style, or it's just something about um the setting that isn't comfortable for you right it's okay to kind of shop around for a therapist to find one that really uh, fits with you yeah absolutely and I think that it all comes down to you know I I really like that term you use like shop around like this Mm -hmm. is your health like you're allowed to do that like you don't pick up like like you don't start taking whatever I don't know like a supplement and like the supplement isn't working so you're like oh I have to stick with this supplement it's like no you don't have to you're like it's your health you're allowed to shop around for different supplements just like you know with uh therapy like this is this is this is our this is your job right like this is like it's the job of the therapist so something's not going to work then it's not going to work it's just like coaching if if if, yeah. if my coaching style isn't best for someone don't expect you to stay with me to to like to protect my feelings like I'll be okay you know what I mean so yeah, so I, I I really like that because you're allowed. You're allowed to 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 find different people and and to to find a therapist that clicks. Yep, hundred percent. Amazing. Okay. Well, I um for the rest of the podcast, I think we're gonna we'll, we'll dive into some questions here. Um and at any time, Lillian, um, you can throw in anything you wanna add to, like questions or anything, like I always say on my podcast, like all things go. Um, okay, it's just like a total shoot the shit kind of thing. So, okay. um, so we'll start with a few questions that I kind of wanted to to dive into, just kind of more generalized questions about therapy, um, and then we'll dive into a few of these uh, listener questions as well, if that's okay with you. Sure. Amazing. Okay, so the first thing I really wanted to talk about with therapy is I would love to talk about the stigma on it and your um. Uh, your perspective of the stigma and I know we kind of touched on it a little bit but I'd love to dive into that with you yeah a lot of people especially historically like therapy was thought as as something for those who have um 
a diagnosed mental disorder. So, and those who didn't, they kind of felt like, okay, well, is it worth it? Like, should I be doing this? Am I struggling as bad? Um, and so it developed this really big stigma that like you need to really be struggling in order to seek therapy or there's something wrong with you if you're seeking therapy. And that makes a lot of people really scared to go. Um, also the idea of going and talking to someone that you don't know and being vulnerable and telling them all these things that you have kind of kept away. You know, there's this, this idea that you're going to be really uncomfortable the entire time, forced to do things you don't want to do and talk about things you're not ready to talk about. Um, and, and again, it scares a lot of people from actually um, getting into therapy. Um, I read some statistics and interestingly enough, in 2020, almost one in five Canadians aged 12 and up reported needing help with their mental health. Um, and when you take it to the age bracket of 18 to 34 year olds, um, it dropped down to one in four. So we see here that a lot of people um, need help with their mental health and there's nothing um, that says that just because they may not have a diagnosed mental disorder that they shouldn't seek it. Um, so it's great to know that um, mental health in general is becoming a lot more popular, um, mental health therapy or medication or whatever it is. Um, but there's still a lot of work to be done around it to ensure everyone knows that it's a place for literally everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I even, I even think like when I've talked to people about it and, and, you know, I've had people say to me like, oh, is it going to be like, like, you almost picture like those old cartoons right of like I think it was it's literally like Freud I think that they all refer to but no one really realizes it's Freud and he's like he's he's literally he's he's like sitting across from someone lying on a couch and the person on the couch is like so dramatic and like head up in the air like oh tell me about your issues and the person's like and the therapist is like like sitting there with glasses taking notes and stuff like no, it's not like that. It doesn't need no. to be like that. <laughs> yeah. And another huge misconception is that sessions are like really sad and really depressing. Yeah, no. And that's not the case, right? Like a lot of the time I'm laughing with clients or we're having these huge um, insights that bring a lot of comfort. Obviously there is some sadness, but the environment is supportive and constructive. It's not always a scary and um, vulnerable place right absolutely it's it's so true and I think that the issue is a lot of people walk into therapy and they assume that this like that you know that the therapist or the counselor or whatever is is going to be this like like it's going to be an authoritative relationship and it doesn't need to be an authoritative relationship it can be if that's what you find comfort in but I know for me personally when I walk into into the room with my therapist like I am like when I'm speaking with her I'm speaking with her like she's a friend almost and you know what I mean and I think that you know, obviously there's, there's, you know, we have to consider like the borders and everything like that. Like we, like your therapist is not ultimately like your friend. You can't call your, you can't call your therapist after, you know, you can't text them. You can't do all this. Right. But, you know, as soon as you're in that session, like allow yourself to feel that comfort. And obviously it's going to take time. You need to build a relationship and not everyone is, you know, super open right off the bat. And that's totally okay. Um, but it's not, it doesn't need to be this like teacher student relationship. Like you can, you are on an even playing field, you know, with your therapist or counselor. And I think that, I think that that's kind of what people, especially, you know, um, you know, just kind of even popping ahead to one of my next questions with, with, uh, with uh, men in therapy is I think that a lot of men get nervous or 
don't necessarily feel super comfortable with that authoritative um, uh, dynamic. And it really doesn't need to be that dynamic, right? So yeah, that's 100%. super interesting. One way I kind of like to conceptualize therapy with clients is that the client is in the driver's seat and the therapist is in the passenger seat with the map. So they're guiding the client to kind of explore things, but ultimately the client is in charge of the direction of the session and um, kind of as the ultimate um, uh, person that knows themselves best. Um, so that's, that's really important to keep in mind with the dynamic. It's a collaborative experience. It's not meant to be that authoritative, like parent child or a teacher student, like you said. Yeah, no, I love that. And and I even take a similar approach with my coaching too. You know, I say, I say to my clients, they're like, can I do this? Can I do this? And I'm like, you can do whatever you want. Like, like in the end here, like I am your guide. You are the driver of your journey. Just like you said, like, I'm just here to help assist along the way. Like, this is your journey. Um, Like, here's how you can get to it. And that's, I, 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 I love that approach because ultimately, you know, the goal isn't to, you know, the goal isn't to teach people or sorry, the goal is to teach people how to take care of themselves in the end, right? Like therapy is a great thing to have forever, but we also understand, you know, just like coaching, sometimes it's not, you know, the, the most inexpensive thing in the entire world, right? Like we want to teach people how to be their own therapist in the end, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Teach them to have the skills um, independently throughout their life. Exactly. Amazing. I love it. Awesome. Okay. Well, why don't we um, kind of go in from there and lead into my next kind of question here in regards to uh, uh, men in therapy. So we don't have to talk too, too much about this. I don't know if you have any, um, um, any insight experience with it, but I just know that there is, there is more stigma in regards to men in therapy. Like I just, I just know from my own personal experience speaking with clients, with friends, my own family, like men tend to be more intimidated, you know, by therapy, or at least, you know, at least they might not be as open about, you know, going and doing it, which is also something that I shouldn't be naive to that fact. So whatever insight you have in regards to that would be really cool too. Yeah, I have been fortunate to work with a lot of men. Um, I don't want to say it's half half, but it's it's a really good proportion of my clients are men. Um, of all ages it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, yeah it is um, but it is true right like men are socialized to not talk about their feelings they're told that they need to be tough and they need to you know bear all their issues alone and that's kind of the way society has has bred them to be um, and they often deal with like fear of um, exclusion or bullying or social strain if they're vulnerable and they talk about feelings but what we know is talking about feelings is really healthy for everyone. Um, as well, uh, I read that in 2018, um, about 3.5 times more men died by suicide than women. So we know that men also struggle with mental health. And sometimes it can be more deadly in that sense, right? Um, so the need for mental health um, is really, really important for men um, to be able to kind of cope with with the things of their day-to-day -day lives. Um, what I do appreciate about working with men a lot is sometimes it's their first time talking. I mean, with any clients, it can be their first time talking about these vulnerable things, but sometimes it's the first time for men to really get to a place of 
um, openness and comfort with their emotions. And it's really empowering to be able to support them through that. Um, and it's really rewarding for me as well um, to be able to um, kind of guide them there and honestly just watch them flourish. That's so beautiful. I love that. I think, you know, as I start to get more and more into my schooling and everything, I'm I'm more and more interested. And um, I, I just, I would love to, I feel like there should be a specialization in, in working with men sometimes because I feel like it would just, you know, there is a lot of different, you probably use, you know, some different strategies. And just like you mentioned, you have to be open to the idea that, you know, this could be, you know, you know, some of the first times these men are opening up in this way. Right. Uh, and I find like, I'm, I'm, that's one of the things I'm most excited about is I, I, I love that you, you, you said it's, it's so rewarding to watch because, you know, it's, it's so true. It's, it's probably such a beautiful thing to watch and to, to see. I know I did an assignment for one of my courses this year, um, where we had to, we had to make a list of a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, resources here in Ottawa, at least. And there's actually one clinic and I'll, I'll put it in the, in the notes below for all my guys who are looking, but there's, um, there's a practice here in Ottawa called, uh, men in healing. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's, um, it's downtown, but it's, it's a, it's a specific practice just for it's, it's, it's just for men basically. Um, and, uh, they have a whole philosophy behind it. And I think that it's a really cool program and I've done some research into it too. So it's interesting. Yeah. That's a great re resource to have. Yeah. Um, okay. Another little, just a quick snippet question. This is probably a big hot topic and you probably get this a lot too. Um, but the, uh, the price of, um, of therapy. So personally, and I know, like I'm biased. I, in my head, I'm, I don't mind paying what I pay for my therapist because I see the work that I'm putting in for school and how, you know, like people don't realize too, before they pay, you know, yes, it's very expensive, but you're, you know, we have to keep in mind the other person on the other side too, right? Like it's, it's a lot for your counselor. Your counselor is tired by the end of the night too, right? Like it's, it's a, it's, it's a very like emotionally and like physically demanding job. So that's why I don't mind paying what I pay. Um, but I know a lot of people can are very turned off by the price and I don't know, uh, whatever kind of insight you have there would be, would be interesting too, Lillian. Yeah. Um, the tricky thing with price is that it's not always what it seems. So for example, I work at two clinics in Ottawa um, and the price that clients pay is not what I am paid um, because the clinic has to make money too. So I get a proportion of that. And also in addition, um, we don't see 40 clients a week. Like that would be way too much. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, it's not like we're getting um, that 40 hours like per client, if that makes sense, that 40 Absolutely. hour work. Absolutely. Um, so what's pretty average is like 15 to 20 or maybe 25. Um, and, and then 25 would be a lot. So um, if, if you kind of think of it like that, they're not making that full amount. And in addition, they're not making those 40 hours, quote unquote. Um, so it's a lot less Absolutely. than it's not a lot less, but it's less than it may seem. Yeah. Um, and there's also a lot of variability um, within the prices. So there are free places to get therapy in Ontario. I believe they're they've been rolling out a free mental health um, program of sorts. Um, I don't know if it's available yet or not, but there's also public service centers, um, like different centers uh, within Ottawa, for example, that do provide 
discounted or free therapy. Also a good option if you're looking for um, cheaper therapy is going with a student who's doing their practicum. And I know some people are hesitant with that and that's okay. Um, but I had great success as a student. I see a lot of um, my clients that I started as uh, with this, as a student now that have kind of enjoyed um, the younger perspective on things. Absolutely. And sometimes you're connecting with someone who's younger. Yeah, so. That's really interesting. Can, I like are, that. Yeah. Um, and then license, it can range, um, a big range, honestly, because a lot of people get to choose their own rate. Um, but, but if you are looking for more budget-friendly options and there are um, some available, it does take a little bit of digging. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I find, I think that's really interesting. I think that, you know, a lot of people just, you know, assume straight up too that it's going to be super expensive and that, you know, you can't do something like that or you can't afford it. But I think at the same time, you know, we, again, it's in perspective. And I, 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 I really like that perspective you gave this whole idea that, you know, you know, it's hard. They don't necessarily work that much. And yeah, no, that's, that's, that's uh, super interesting. Thank you so much, Lillian. Okay. Um, another question I'd love to dive into before we start is overall who, who can benefit from therapy, Lillian? <laughs> Uh, literally everyone right <laughs> yeah. I know you're laughing because you know it too it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's when you're in therapy and you are trying to work through literally anything you can get that support there right it can be for general stress like any anyone has um stress that they want to manage if you want to learn more about yourself learn more about the why you are the way you are, why you have certain behaviors or thought processes. Um, yeah, if you are, want to work on uh, how you are, are interpersonally in relationships, you know, if you want to feel more fulfilled, if you uh, want help making decisions career-wise, um, there's so many reasons that are not clinical, quote unquote, um, reasons to go to therapy. So I, I truly think anyone can benefit from that external person that's not biased, um, to help uh, give support to anything they need in their life. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. I think that that's, that's, that's such a good way of thinking about it. I always tell my clients and I tell myself as well as one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself is the gift of uh, self-awareness and being aware of who you are as a person, like, like learn to understand your personality type, you know, like one of the things, and I don't know, it used to drive me crazy. It was a TikTok trend. And it's like, it's like with the song, like you, me, I'm the problem. And it's like, yes, like learn, learn, learn about yourself. Like stop making the same mistakes over and over again. And, 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 and you know, using the, ex I don't like saying excuse, but, you know, just in, as a way to justify it, saying this is just like who I am. And it's like, yeah, that's just who you are, but you should go dive into that. Why you like that? Like, you know, you don't necessarily have to change it, but like try and understand it better. Like one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself is the gift of like self-awareness and learning yeah. why we may have things. And it's like an ongoing journey. I've been in and out of therapy, like I said, since I was in grade three and I still will sit down with my therapist and I'm like, whoa, I did not realize that's why I do that. But yeah, you're totally right. That's definitely why I do that. Right. Or 
or something like that. And it's actually, it's, it's really fulfilling. That's a great, that's a great word to use too, Lillian, is this idea of, of, of being, you can find more fulfillment in yourself when you learn to understand yourself better. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Okay. Well, let's dive into some listener questions. I always say that I'm going to keep my podcast short and sweet, but that's just not who I am. So I'm, so here I am. I'm the problem, just like I said, but anyway. <laughs> um. All right. So we'll dive right into these. I don't have a lot to say on a lot of these just because I'm obviously not a, a registered uh, psychotherapist or qualifying or anything like that. But there is a few things that I would love to to tune in on, especially our, we have a few questions regarding eating disorders. And again, uh, my own disclaimer, I'm not anything. I'm still in school, but I just have my own background um, and the work I've done with clients as well. So I can maybe pitch in on some of those. But overall, these are mostly for you, Lillian. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited to to learn about these questions too, because there's a lot of these questions where I'm like, yeah, that's I know nothing. I would love to know about that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah. So, uh, so one of the first questions we got is working through uh, narcissistic parents. So anything you have to add with that? That's one of our questions we got today. What's really important um, and really difficult as well with narcissistic, narcissistic parents is to realize that um, the narcissism is something going on internally with them and with their upbringing and to not take it personally as their child. That's like the major key big star. I want to add to that is that it's not your fault that they're unable to see um, your strengths and and they're only focusing on them. Um, But it's important to not take that personally. Um, That's kind of the main thing I wanted to emphasize with that. Um, In addition, narcissism develops often from childhood, from um, their parents and their relationship with them. Um, It can develop from a lot of praise or adoration or from a lot of criticism when it didn't really align with how they perceived themselves. Um, So what happens when there's a lot of praise um, or adoration, it turns into um, or it can turn into something called grandiose narcissism. And then when there's a lot of criticism, um, it can turn into something called vulnerable narcissism. So that is a more protective mechanism to protect kind of the ego there. But these are kind of underlying things that are going on that are usually um, developed over a long uh, period of time. Um, So not taking it personally is the first thing I want to mention about that. Another thing is um, creating healthy personal boundaries around contact and engagement um, with these people, because often they're not going to respect the boundaries you try to set. Um, They're not going to think they're valid or they're going to think they're harsh or they're going to think they're just unwarranted. Um, so being able to, you know, choose your own boundaries and choose your own contact and engagement with them is important. And this is really difficult to do. We know boundaries as a whole, I could talk forever about them, is so difficult. Um, and another thing is, you know, seeking therapy, which is going to be a common theme, obviously, here, but seeking therapy um, to kind of rework how you feel in that attachment relationship. Um, So basically there's something called a corrective relational experience that can happen in therapy where the therapist can kind of rework um, how you feel in relationships by providing um, kind of a safe space and a safe um, rapport. Um, And when you struggle with narcissistic parents, it may be hard to feel secure and safe with them. So a therapist can kind of be a supplementary route um, to heal that wound a little bit. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, that's, that's really, really interesting. Thank you so much, Lillian. That's great. 
Um, so the next question is in regarding eating disorders. So um, specifically uh, binging, how to help coaches uh, be a resource for clients experiencing this? So where to tell them to go? So I imagine this was one of my online uh, fitness coach uh, fellow <laughs> um, yeah. people here. And uh, yeah, whatever you have to say would be would be awesome here. So in general, um, it's really useful to just do like a basic Google search eating disorder therapist in your city. And usually something will pop up um, or there'll be some sort of resource um, for your specific city. Um, another good resource is Psychology Today, which is a website to search up therapists. And you can often search up, I believe you can search up um, specific types of things to be treated. Um, and that kind of has a registry of um, registered uh, therapists um, that you can kind of look through, see their profile, see their contact information, location, and stuff like that. Um, just a general uh, idea to kind of add to um, binging for coaches is that it can be triggered and often is triggered by stress. Um, so having your clients maybe monitor their stress um, so they can have more awareness around the um, you know physiological and psychological um, causes and signs that binging uh, may occur. So that just might be something to kind of explore with them um, in addition to helping them seek uh, help. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I will say with, with my own experience, with um with that with binge eating and my experience with working with clients who have struggled with binge eating is it's it's so true it's it's usually a result of 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 something external right and even sometimes is sometimes sorry it can be a result of you know like also restricted eating as well and and that's why it's so important to you know to have your clients you know be as open as possible with you first of all and all handle all externals of their life um, but also all outside ways as well. So thank you so much, Lillian. Um, another question here. So how to overcome loss of trust in your significant other when you still want to be with them? Oh, this one hits the heartstrings. This is such a pretty, uh, it's a weird way to say it, pretty question, but I feel like so many people struggle with this. So I'm really excited to, to have your, have your thoughts here. This is definitely something I've worked through with, um, with my therapist as well so I'm curious yeah loss of trust is so difficult because um we want to feel safe and connected and secure with our partner and when there's some sort of um you know break of that break of that trust it's really hard to kind of go back and we also sometimes doubt if we can trust ourselves because if we thought we could trust ourselves and then we were shown that maybe our intuition was wrong then there becomes a whole cycle of, can I trust them? Can I trust myself? And it's really complex. Um, what I, it's really dominant in my uh, way of doing therapy and, and something I always tell people and clients is to explore your attachment styles, especially with your partner. So understand how each of you tend to act in stressful, stressful situations, how you react with conflict and work towards a secure attachment. Um, what's also important is for the person who's struggling with trust to be able to openly share when they're struggling um, and to be able to share this without their partner um, uh, becoming defensive and just having that kind of open line of contact of your internal worlds. Um, what's also important, like I kind of mentioned before, is creating a secure bond. Um, so when there has been a rupture, 
um, it's important to take extra care um, to rebuild that rupture. So what's really important is to be reliable and to be consistent. So with that, I mean, you know, saying what you are going to do or saying what you mean and actually following through and proving that consistency, proving that reliability with your words um, so the trust can rebuild. Okay. Um, as well, what's really important for those that are struggling internally with the trust issues is being able to seek that reassurance from your partner. Reassurance is really healthy. Um, it's okay to need reassurance um, and also self-soothing. So kind of both of those you can think of. So seeking the reassurance sometimes, but also soothing those internal um, stressors and internal anxieties on your own and calming your own um, uh, stress response down a little bit in those moments. I love that answer. I think that's great. I think that there's, there's literally so much room for, you know, like truly understanding each other. And I think that even you could even argue like to this day, people have been married for 30, 40, 50 years, still learning things about their partners. And I think that that's something that, you know, therapy is so, so good for. And you probably see that um, in therapy as well, right. With your, um, uh, when you're counseling your your couples and things like that, you know, there's probably so many beautiful realizations and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, couples therapy is is a whole other beast, but it's it's super interesting, um, and I honestly enjoy working with couples a lot. It's a very different dynamic. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's super fun. Um, okay, I I am cheap and have this free version of Zoom, so. Um, we're just going to pause the episode here quick, and then we're going to re-log in. Um, so I'm just going to. All right, we're back after a short intermission slash pee break. Um, <laughs> all right, so getting into our next question here, um, I would love, this is a really interesting question, actually, from someone. So someone asks if you knew about the uh, Mandela effect, and I'm super interested in this question as well. So let's dive into that one if you're ready. Yeah. Um, so the Mandela effect, I'm going to pull something up so I can actually read the, the true definition of what it, um, what it is before I kind of get into my, uh, my understanding. Um, so just reading off of Wikipedia, it says this phenomenon was dubbed the Mandela effect by paranormal researcher Fiona Broom, who reported having vivid and detailed memories of news coverage of South African anti-apartheid leader Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 1980s, despite Mandela actually dying in 2013 after serving as president of South Africa. So the idea is basically um, a cognitive bias where we recall false memories. And often it happens um, in groups of people. Um, so the idea behind this basically is that our brains are really suggestible um, and it tries to fill in gaps where um, is needed and where it makes sense to us. Um, so something that kind of relates to this is something called the availability heuristic. Um, and it's basically a mental shortcut we do um, that helps make sense of situations. Um, so with the availability heur heuristic, it basically involves making decisions based on information that is already available in our mind. Um, so for example, with the Mandela effect, people probably remember him as the um, being in uh, prison for a long time and not maybe as being a uh, president. So that may be where the availability, availability heuristic comes in, where our brain um, is kind of drawn and makes sense 
of situations based on the information that is most readily available in our brain. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really, really interesting. That's that's a really cool concept, actually. I think that I think that there's a lot of ways we could kind of throw that in. Have you ever seen that in therapy? Have you have you have you dove into that much? Something I'm really oh. not familiar with. I mean, cognitive biases are super common. Um, and, and yeah, it is something that we, we kind of tackle, we kind of try to, um, you know, even if you're just thinking of clients overgeneralizing or, uh, jumping to conclusions, things like that, um, we try to kind of catch them and make them a little bit more realistic or have them challenge them themselves instead of having these, um, automatic thoughts that lead us, lead them to conclusions that may be a little less helpful. Right. I was going to say even, you know, things with like uh, CBD, cognitive behavioral therapy, one of the biggest things is changing those those uh, negative thoughts into positive thoughts. Um, so I could mm -hmm. see that probably overlapping in that too. That's really fascinating. Yeah. That's a cool question, guys. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay. So the next question I would love to look at, um, and I feel like this is such a common thing, especially in our society. I know it's something I struggle with, something I'm very open about with my struggle. Um, but uh, one of the listeners asks, how do you balance your work slash manage your burnout when you're dealing with your own uh, mental health issues as well? So that is that is a loaded question. I don't know if you want to give a Coles Notes version because I feel like that's that's a <laughs> that's a great reason to seek out some therapy, I think, as well. We could probably argue as well. Yeah, what's really important with burnout, which I really like to explore with my clients, is what are the signs and signals of burnout coming? You know, not what is the full-blown burnout, but what is the signs and signals of it starting to approach and becoming really aware of, um, you know, when those are happening and when those, um, when it's starting to progress and getting worse. Um, balancing is is really hard, right? I was a student. I worked for the government, like all, in the past year, I worked for the government. I was a student. I was doing my practicum. I have a relationship. I have a house to clean, you know, I had so many different and friends and so many things going on that I had to balance. And it was honestly really hard for a decent amount of time. Um, but what, what I find is really important when you are trying to have work-life balance and also managing mental health is becoming really in tune with your boundaries and where boundaries are needed. So let's say you are just not having a good day mentally and you are supposed to go out with friends and that just sounds really, really draining and like it might just make you feel awful and uh, not really help you anything. Um, being able to set boundaries and kindly decline the plans with your friends or cancel or reschedule um, in order to preserve your mental health is sometimes uh, really beneficial. And it's kind of difficult in the short term, but long term boundaries are really, really helpful to maintaining good mental health and good work life balance. I think that's, that's, that's such an amazing insight because I think that, you know, even as friends, sometimes we can, you know, get disappointed if one of our friends cancels or, you know, chooses to hang out alone or, or do something different or say they don't, you know, want to go out to the bars that night or something like that. And our first reaction is being like, oh, you don't want to see me. You don't. And it's like, no, it's not that your friend doesn't want to see you. It's your friend just needs a night to themselves, right? They need to be able to manage things. And sometimes, Sometimes going out and doing things isn't 
it's not everyone's way of relaxing. You know, I know for me personally, like going out to the bars and, you know, doing things like that, or even just leaving the house sometimes is really mentally taxing for me. And I've come to realize that like, I, you have every right to say, no, you don't have to do something, you know, you don't have to have this fear of missing out either. Like you need to take care of you. So I think that that's a really good question. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the best ways to manage that is because I think that everyone assumes that there has to be like a certain way to manage their burnout and everyone has to find the same things relaxing. And it's like, no, right. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. One of the next questions, this is a really interesting one. Um, do you think uh, that uh, medication is the way to go or is there an alternative uh, method for mental health issues? They used an example like exercise and I will say off the bat, one thing that I tell my clients, um, at least as an online coach, is exercise, coaching, nutrition, that is not that is not therapy, you know? Everyone jokes online like, oh, the gym is my therapy. Like, no, the gym is not therapy. <laughs> the gym can be a form of, you know, making yourself feel better and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but it is not self-injury <laughs> to to therapy. And I'm I'm curious to know your your opinions on, you know like a uh, medication or things like that. It sounds like this question is saying like uh, medication or exercise, but I think, you know, we can probably both agree that, you know, therapy and added on things are the best way, but I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tricky one. And just, just a reminder, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I don't have any medical um, background. I'm just a therapist. So um, in terms of research, um, research suggests that therapy combined with medication um, has the best results for a lot of people. So that can be, um, you know, them together can be very supportive, um, but also individually they have their merits. But also to keep in mind, medication is not a one size fits all. So it can take time to find medication that works for you and it can take time for it to work as well. Um, so it's kind of a, a tricky topic and, and not everyone benefits from medication as well. Um, a lot of people can work through whatever it is just through therapy um, without medication being needed. So again, consult your practitioner and consult your psychiatrist or family doctor. If you're interested in medication, um, there is a lot of research that um, suggests it can be helpful. In terms of exercise, um, exercise is a tricky one because um, there's some people that use exercise as a distraction rather than a release. Um, and then there's, you know, some more complex things going on there, but exercise is also found to be very good for mental health. Um, it, uh, you know, re releases endorphins and it makes us feel good. Um, but it isn't a solution just like medication isn't a solution. Um, it can be a, you know, a form of self-care exercise. Um, but ultimately you want to be doing the, the psychological work, um, that will be enhanced by the medication or by the exercise, um, it's not really a fix in itself. I love that, yeah. No, I, I, I could not agree more. It's all about the mind, the full mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so just to kind of uh, finish up here, I think we have some, um, some uh, soon-to-be students or you know, possibly interested students in psychotherapy and taking similar courses to us. So I think 
got a few questions in regards to that. Someone's asking about um, the what was the most challenging part for the both of us when starting out in the career field, as well as a background in schooling, getting into grad school, tips and advice. Um, again, I will say off the bat, I'm right smack dab in the middle of my schooling. Um, and I would say just so far, the most challenging part is just like we talked about before, you know, trying to manage the work-life balance and everything. Um, it's definitely a taxing program. Um, and it's not a program, you know, if there's one thing I've learned so far, it's not a program where it's like, yeah, just, you know, just get it done. Just do whatever you can do to get it done. Like, no, like you're going to be having people's health and worlds in your hands one day. You want to make sure that you're in the perfect head frame to be taking this schooling so you can learn as much as you can. This is a practical course. Like there, or this is a practical like degree, a practical master's degree. Like you are going to be using everything you learn. So you need to make sure you're in a good headspace to learn that, at least for me. Other than that, I'm still halfway in the middle. So um, any insight you have, I think that uh, to finish off this podcast, that would be a good way to finish it. Yeah. Um, so I talked about my background in schooling earlier, um, but getting into grad school. So that was an interesting experience. So it, it's really, it's different depending on the program you're applying to. So I went to Yorkville, which is based out of New Brunswick, but it's an online program. Um, and it takes in a lot of students. Like, I think there's like several thousand students in a cohort when compared to, let's say, University of Ottawa's master's um, in education, counseling psychology program. I think their cohort's like 20. So that kind of shows a lot in terms of the difficulty in getting in. Um, not that Yorkville is necessarily easy, but the fact that it's online and they have a whole slew of um, faculty, they can take in a lot more students. So it is less competitive when compared to, let's say, University of Ottawa, which is more competitive. Um, what's really important is, is definitely trying to get, you know, some sort of experience in the field, just to make sure that it's a good fit for you. And it's it's hard to know, obviously, without doing the actual job, but volunteering, um, getting involved in your uh, undergrad in things in, in psychology, let's say, um, can really be beneficial to kind of get more exposure. <clears throat> As well, I know some programs require an um, undergrad in psychology. Yorkville doesn't. So there were people that I believe were like in law or in like biology, like kind of random things um, and still were able to do the program. Um, so again, it's gonna be very specific to whatever uh, school you are applying to. Um, advice is honestly just get involved, you know, do your research, ask questions, talk to people you know in the field um, and just know that if you don't get in the first try, that's okay, um, keep applying. Um, and it's, it's a really exciting career and, and just, um, if you have that passion, allow that to drive you, um, through, um, the most challenging part in starting out in the field. Oh, I think, um, probably just the, you know, being a young therapist, um, like looking young and feeling young, um, and how that kind of impacts, um, how I felt in session. So like the imposter syndrome that I felt, um, you know, seeing clients that are older than me with different experiences in life that I've never experienced before. Um, and just the sense of having to trust my ability to, um, you know, foster a relationship with them and my ability to rely on my education um, and just have that confidence in session, which should not 
not always come naturally. And still to this day, I still get nervous a lot of the time in session. Um, and that's super normal. But I think that's probably the hardest part is just being young and new and, um, you know, feeling, I guess, insecure with my own skills and my own competence. Um, but it's something that takes time. And I'm being patient with myself and kind to myself um, to be able to uh, progress in the field um, in a natural way. I think that that's, that's such a beautiful, uh, such a beautiful way of looking at it, Lillian. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's definitely something I'm super excited about. And um, it helps me get through the schooling because it is a lot of hours of learning and schooling, but I know in the end it's all worth it. And I think that it's, it's going to be so fulfilling and I'm so excited to, to become one Monday. So thank yes, you. I'm excited for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you so, so much for coming on my podcast here today, Lillian. I know this podcast is going to help so many people. I can already feel like, it just feels like we just, you know, if there's one thing I can say about therapy is just stop treating it like such a big deal. Like, I feel like that's a good way to kind of generalize it. Like, you know, some, I know some people freak out going to the dentist and stuff, but on, you know, on average, most people are like, oh, I gotta go get my teeth cleaned. Let's go get my teeth cleaned. Right. Like if anything, like if you, if you have to just view therapy as something that's going to help you like, right. Like it's, it's something that you can choose to make it fun even, you know, like choose to use it as like a, as like a self-discovery thing. You know, it's so cool to learn about yourself. If anyone's ever taken one of those like online personality tests, like you can't tell me you guys weren't kind of like interested, excited to to find out more about yourself, like treat therapy like that. Cause that's basically what it is. Only it's real. It's not computer software generated, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So um, yeah. thank you that's so hard. much. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was, just, I was just gonna say that's such a cool mindset shift, right? Like, yeah. instead of, um, you know, it's it's something scary that you're gonna have to do. It's something exciting. And it's it's something to look forward to. Um, it's a it's an interesting shift there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then obviously, remembering too, I really like what you said at the beginning, you know, therapy doesn't need to be scary, sad, whatever. Um, there's going to be parts where it's going to be hard. And I know my own experience with it. There's some parts where I'm like, I need to carve out an hour out of my day to recover from this and just being just knowing that that's okay that's you know literally nothing in life worth living for is easy right all of the hard shit is stuff that actually helps us in the long run so just kind of keeping that mindset probably in regards to therapy is is a big key one as well so mm -hmm. thank you for having me <laughs> yes thank you so much Lillian that was amazing and I'm looking forward to putting this out for everyone and uh, I'd love to have you back in the future I think that yes. I think that after today I think we'll get even more questions so that'll be fun mm -hmm. perfect okay yeah. well you guys um th thank you so much for tuning in obviously if you have any questions for me or for uh uh Lillian shoot me a dm on instagram you can email me um, and I can potentially send those questions over to Lillian too, if you're okay with that, Lillian. Um, and sure. uh, yeah, amazing. Thank you guys so much. And uh, thanks so much again, Lillian. Thank you.